BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Water Cooler with David Brody only today. There is no David Brody. I am Tara Bergener filling in for David so he can take a few well-deserved days off. Well, we're going to turn to something very serious now. This is the first day of former Minneapolis Police Chief Officer rather Derek Chauvin's murder trial in the death of George Floyd. Floyd was a 46-year-old black man and died in May of last year after Chauvin placed his knee on Floyd's neck while Floyd pleaded, I can't breathe. Floyd's final moments recorded on video. Let's get right to Just the News senior writer Joe Weber. Joe, Floyd's death led to widespread and in some cases very violent protests against police brutality and racism. There is a lot at stake here. A lot. I can't be, I've been reporting since the death of uh, Rodney King and I can't remember a trial with regard to peace brutality and social justice uh, more impactful and more paying more attention to than this one right here. I can't imagine that a lot of people in this country won't want to see anything less than a um, murder conviction uh, for former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Uh, we're going to see real quick. Prosecution is really going to stick to that nine minute and 29 second video. I can't tell you how many times I heard the word nine minute, 29 second. The defense is going to say there's a total totalitarian totalitarian of evidence that goes beyond that video, maybe 50,000 pieces of marked evidence in this trial that goes beyond just that nine minute and 29 second video. All right, Joe, thank you so much. We will see you later in the show for another update. Certainly a lot at stake here and all eyes on this case. Well, now to another very serious issue today. As we speak, thousands of migrants are crossing into the U.S. with the help of smugglers. In fact, I just returned from the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which is the busiest area for illegal immigration in the entire country. Take a look at that video that we just saw there. Border Patrol agents tell me they are no longer allowed to talk to the media per the Biden administration and are working around the clock as smugglers go around them to ensure migrants can put their feet on American soil before agents can get to them. They pay thousands of dollars each to smugglers working for drug cartels to do it. And there is no doubt at all the journey is very dangerous. Among those making this perilous journey, 18,000 unaccompanied children now in U.S. custody. Processing facilities are bursting at the seams, and when the paperwork is done, they are free to go, given a free bus ticket or airfare, and head to parts unknown all over the country. If they have COVID, they get a hotel room, also usually paid for by the federal government, but are reportedly free to leave whenever and go wherever they want because they are no longer in custody. As for the handling of this largest migrant surge in more than 20 years, President Biden getting low marks. In ABC News Ipsos poll says 57% of Americans disapprove of the conditions of Biden's approach to the situation. 54% see it as a crisis, though the administration will only call it so far a challenge. Only 4% of Americans say 
this is not a serious problem. But the problems do reach far beyond the actual border in Mexico. Coming up later, we're going to hear from the sheriff of one of the nation's hotspots for human and drug trafficking. Meanwhile, gun control is back in the news. I own an AR-15. If there's a natural disaster uh, in South Carolina where the cops can't protect my neighborhood, my house will be the last one that the gang will come to because I can defend myself. That is Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, and that's what he had to say over the weekend after President Biden calls on Congress to issue a new assault weapons ban and tougher background checks. It is also considering steps it could take without new legislation, like a series of executive orders expected to be rolled out in the coming weeks. The announcement following two mass shootings that killed 18 people. With us now, gun rights advocate, rock legend, and outdoor enthusiast, the one, the only, Ted Nugent. Ted, I know you've got a lot going on, which we will get to later, but let's start with your reaction to plans for another series of executive orders aimed, once again, at tougher gun laws. Well, Tara, it's good to see you, and we'll dig deep, and I wish everybody a happy springtime, in, in spite of all the chaos and fraudulent criminal behavior by our government and most of the media. God bless you for celebrating truth, logic, and common sense. You are, I am, the people in my life are America's voice, and the American voice goes like this. The anti-gunners, the anti-freedom, the constitutional oath violators amongst us already have their dream, and their dream is a gun-free zone. And in the dream of the gun-free zone, it is always where the most innocent lives are lost. What kind of evil, complicit, mindless, soulless person would want more gun-free zones when the evidence is irrefutable, that that's where the most innocent lives are lost. Conversely, in the Nugent family and all my friends here in Texas and Michigan, quite honestly, all 50 states across this great nation, we agree with the common sense, the truth and the logic of Lindsey Graham. If you're unarmed and helpless, you are unarmed and helpless, and evil people love to trample and do what they wish to unarmed, helpless Americans. And Joe Biden and his Beto O'Rourke and Kamala Harris and the Clinton insanity going right back to Obama and Holder and these, these constitutional violators, they want us to be, they are going to try to force us to be unarmed and helpless. And Tara, it ain't gonna happen because we the people are smarter than that and we know that in Mexico no one is allowed to own a gun and they kill each other every eight minutes. Who pursues this insanity? And the president and his gang, that's who pursues this insanity. And Ted, I read an article in claiming that 90% of Americans do support some sort of background checks and gun control. I, I'm thinking that you do not agree with that. Not only don't I agree with it, but you read some lies. It's absolutely false. By the way, in Colorado, where the recent mass shooting took place, guess what was in effect there? Universal background checks. Literally, Terry, I want you to listen. I know you respect your elders. I've been a gun guy for 72 years, clean and sober. I've been law enforcement for 38 years. We're doing a benefit here in Texas for the great state trooper, uh, Chad Walker, who was gunned down by another scumbag, evil murderer, because he stopped to help this man with his vehicle on the highway. And 
what what I know to be true is that what you read about people wanting universal background checks, it's simply not true. In Colorado, they had universal background checks. In in Connecticut before Sandy Hook, universal background checks. In Columbine, in Parkland, in, uh, in San Bernardino, high capacity magazines are banned. ARs are banned. You've got to be kidding me. Who thinks that an evil person is waiting for the 27,000th gun law before they finally adhere to goodwill and decency and law-abiding conduct? I'm telling you what, the people who want to disarm America, they want us controllable. They want us to be unarmed and helpless because none of those laws have accomplished anything to save lives or reduce crime. Here's an Uncle Ted tech tip for everybody who lives truth, logic, and common sense and believes in the sanctity of good life and stopping evil. Get a gun, practice, and carry it. By the way, that's keeping and bearing arms. Keep means it's mine, you can't have it. And bear means I got a couple on me right now and they're loaded. Don't tread on me. Who doesn't get this, Tara? Well, you know, Ted, Congress is controlled by Democrats. The president is obviously a Democrat. How are you going to stop, you know, how can Americans who want to bear arms, what can they do if Democrats who want gun control so badly, you know, are in control? What could be done? Remember what happened when the uh, jackbooted thugs of the federal government tried to, uh, uh, you know, they loaded up like they were going to war. Uh, of the Bureau of Land Management and the uh, Department of the Interior and out in Nevada, they went after those ranchers because their cattle were grazing on the wrong strip of grass. What the? You gotta be kidding me. Remember when the citizens showed up and went, back off, it ain't gonna happen. The citizens showed up with our keeping and bearing arms and we told the federal jackboots, back off. We'll, we'll use that as an example of what we will do. Yeah, so Ted, on another subject, a few years ago when I visited your Central Texas ranch, just quickly, you, you know, you showed me your weapons, not the whole arsenal, of course. Uh, you just had an auction selling off a few of your items. I'd like to know what that was about on a lighter note. Well, first of all, we raised uh, over $18,000. It's going quite a bit above that for the great uh, Texas State Trooper, uh, uh, Chad Walker, who was shot by this uh, recidivistic punk that our system put in front of him to slaughter him and ambush him. So we've raised a lot of money, but I have so many guns. I have so many beautiful pieces of firearms art and guitar iconic art that I have a bunch of guns and guitars that I go to every day that I train with, I practice with. My wife and I have an enjoyable little competition. We, we are trained and, and prepared to defend our precious gift of life. And I'm mm -hmm. playing the soundtrack for defending the precious gift of life. So I sold off a superfluous load, just an outrageous approaching obscene inventory of a superfluous accumulation in my lifetime. And we raised some great money. We raised over uh, $38,000 for the Ted Nugent Camp for Kids charity that teaches kids to be clean and sober and to be safe firearms handlers. Ted, Ted, you're awesome. We are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to Just the News, the water cooler with David Brody. We've got senior writer Joe Weber with us now. Joe, you're here, you're monitoring the situation with the Derek Chauvin trial, big murder trial, so much at stake. Tell us what's on tap for today, day one. Okay, here's what we saw in the beginning. Opening arguments from the prosecution and the defense. Uh, Jerry Blackwell, the lead prosecutor, he basically said what we already expected. I should say probably no big surprises here. Uh, they're going to focus on the video. As we talked about earlier, that's the, the bystander video by uh, Danella Frazier, the 17-year-old at the time. We're going to focus on that, 9 minutes and 29 seconds. Repeatedly said that length of time there. And the official autopsy, which listed the cause of death as um, asphyxiation as, as a result of his neck being compressed. Uh, now the defense, um, that's led by Eric Nelson, basically said today that that's not the entire case. So there's a total, to, totalitarian ar argument of evidence that suggests that there's far more to this than we saw. 400 people have been interviewed. There's over 50,000 pieces of evidence um, what led up to that? They asked George Floyd after he had passed the counterfeit money for the cigarettes to give the cigarettes back. Uh, they tried to call family members to get this involved, uh, that Floyd had had some opioids in his pocket that he tried to put in his mouth. And I think he did that uh, successfully before this all, um, before the actual arrest. Um, but I think that the defense team is going to have a difficult time getting past that nine minute and 29 second video as we talked about earlier. What's interesting is both sides try to depoliticize this. Um, Blackwell said that, um, you know, that he's a human. He's not some sort of symbol for social justice. Uh, Nelson said that this is not a political uh, endeavor, but I think nevertheless, uh, it already has been largely and will continue to be. Um, we talked about earlier, I can't see where anybody uh, largely would want anything, at least those who feel like um, Mr. Floyd you know, died at the hands of um, police, want anything less than a murder conviction. Um, others might disagree, but it seems as the way that's going. And, um, you know, everyone is prepared for the outcome. One couple wild cards is will, you know, Chauvin testify. And I think as you've covered these trials as much as I have and stuff like this, will he? Um, I guess it really depends on how the trial is going, right? All right, we've got, Joe, right now we've got a live look at the trial going on. You know, talk some more about the days leading up to this trial because it's so heavily publicized. You know, it fueled the Black Lives Movement, still is largely. What went into making sure that Derek Chauvin, you know, for one thing, gets a fair trial? Well, um, one of the things is that, as we all know, he had to go into hiding as a result of that. Um, and he tried to get the trial moved outside of the local jurisdiction, but the judges in that in this case said, there's nowhere you can really go. Um, this is such a national, and as we talked about these riots that, um, and the protests in, after George Floyd's death on May 25th, 2020, but not only were they across the country, but they were international. So um, this was all over the world, nowhere for him to really hide. Um, we talked about the jury selection, um, and that was a critical part of this trial because They've tried to find people who are impartial, or at least um, it was no way you could really suggest that anybody had not heard about this, but will you bring an impartial point of view uh, to this trial? And they did find people. A lot of people said they wanted to remain anonymous. 
Uh, what I think is interesting is that um, the question is, will they speak after the trial? Uh, we saw with the Breonna Taylor uh, trial in which um, an officer there was charged or with murder. Um, the end, even though the jurors would like to have remained anonymous, they came out and said, we couldn't find him guilty on a murder charge because that wasn't the parameters of the trial and the evidence uh, presented. So I'd imagine, I would, uh, reporters hunch that you'll probably, even though some of these jurors wanted anonymity, uh, will probably speak after the trial. Do they have much trouble placing the jurors in this trial? Did it take very long? And, you know, I would imagine some of them were very concerned about the publicity that is most definitely going to follow along with whatever else might follow, um, you know, if he's not convicted. Was yeah. it tough? Frank frankly, it got off to a slow start, but it almost came in right on time. Probably they expected about a week. It probably took about 10 days. Uh, they found their people. I think there was a lot of probably, if you're asking me to try to deconstruct that or analyze it. Uh, I was probably more people interested in really wanting to do their part and what they feel like, you know, was an important trial uh, than people saying, no, um, you know, I don't want to be involved in this because of the possible repercussions of uh, what decisions I might make. Obviously, family and friends watching this very closely of, of both sides, but who else has got all eyes on this trial going forward? Well, I think certainly, as you pointed out earlier, Black Lives Matter. I mean, this was the impetus for this I, whole sort of undercurrent of, of police brutality, uh, social injustice. And this was the, you know, the spark that uh, lit the fire and um, that caused these protests that started in Minneapolis and then rambled through the country, you know, all the way from whatever, Portland, where they stayed and cities like that um, for a very long time, all the way here to Washington. And I think people were going to be looking at them. Uh, they're going to try to weigh the consequences of the verdict. Again, I think it's going to come down to um, Chavez is, I believe he's trying two counts of murder, uh, first and third and uh, manslaughter. I think that anything less than a murder conviction would probably not satisfy people who think that um, justice is not served. In this case. We've got a long way to go, obviously, in the days ahead for the trial. It's it's not going to be over quickly, I would not imagine. But, you know, yeah. what are the concerns? What's been expressed if the desired outcome is not what, what you know, the side that wants a murder ch conviction is going to get? What do you think the fear is um, if that does not happen in this case? Well, I think that um, there's a general fear that we're going to go back in, on hopefully not, but the possibility that, you know, we'll see the kind of protests that we saw uh, this summer in which, you know, places, parts of Portland uh, were, you know, basically destroyed and under fire and became um, unable for police officers to get in there for a very long time. Uh, we saw situations where um, local governments voted city councils to defund police departments that happened in Minneapolis. And as a consequence, they saw crime go up uh, you know, what will be the consequence of this? Will we see more, you know, defunding as a result of that? Will that create a spike in crime? Uh, will it result in better policing? I think there's a really good argument to be made that some of the money that's in the police department should go to um, outreach programs or outreach officers in cases of people who have mental health issues and arrive there. Maybe police officers aren't, you know, the best equipped or they could use some assistance from someone who's a mental health expert. Will we see more money go there as a consequence for this? Right. But everyone right. is hoping the cooler heads prevail no matter what happens here.
All right, lots, lots to watch, Joe Weber. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to learn more about the latest on the trial, visit thenews.com, justthenews.com, and stay tuned. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. dramatic surge in illegal entries at our nation's southern border unfolds. There's been growing concern about the humanitarian crisis going on, but 80 miles away north in Brooks County, the problem is not unaccompanied children, but human and drug smuggling at the hands of the drug cartels. Sheriff Benny Martinez is here with us now. Sheriff, thank you so much for being with us today. Yes, hello. Thank you. You are in one of the hottest and driest stretches of the Wild Horse Desert and on the front lines of U.S. border and immigration policy. When we met you there last week, you got word of yet another body found on a local ranch, and this is not uncommon. Uh, no, it's not. It's, it's pretty common in this area. Your numbers, uh, since the migrant surge, when we were talking, they are, you're starting to see some impact of the heavier traffic coming through. Tell me about how many people you were finding before and, and what you think you might be on track for uh, going forward. You're finding bodies essentially on the area's local ranches. As we know, it gets very hot in Texas. Uh, the area is very vast and not very populated. What do you project going forward? Well, we're currently at about 20% uh, increase from last year to, uh, to now. So I, I can see it just, I can see the rise and, and it all depends on, on how they handle the situation down on the border. Uh, the fact that it's wide open right now, it, it could hinder us up in this end. Yeah, and, and you know, I think people would be interested to know, you know, when you look, you know, in um, you know, in the Rio Grande Valley and, and McAllen and Mission and some of those areas, you know, they're coming through. These are a lot of unaccompanied children, family units, as they call them. But the people that are, you know, making their way up north to your neck of the woods, who are these people? Why are they not getting a free bus ticket or a plane ticket uh, as they head into other parts of the United States? Well, there could be various reasons for that. You know, um, it could be that they've been uh, detained before and, and they have they have a history behind them. They, they have something that keeps them from just coming into the, the port of entry and, and self-surrendering like everyone else is doing. So there has to be something behind it or they're just under the direction of, of those of the smugglers that won't let him do that. So it's... it's various reasons why uh, this is occurring. It, it's just one of those things that we deal with uh, and uh, and we just kind of push it out and, and uh, hopefully we can uh, make things uh, better for them in, in terms of uh, rescues, etc. when they do call in through 911. 
You know, most migrants, I don't think people realize this, if they're families and they're the children, they want to turn themselves into Border Patrol. They're looking for the agents because they want to get into the system and be processed and, and move on. Are some of the guys or many of the guys or gals that make it to your neck of the woods, are they some of the bad guys, you know, trying to, trying to you know, do, so, you know, the people that want to get away from the authorities? Well, yes, and that, that has occurred too. And we've come across some of those uh, MS 13s and, uh, you know, various gangs that, uh, gang members that we have uh, intercepted as they, as they go through the brush. You know, just last week, for instance, we had a group, not a group, it was actually a passenger, a truck that went into private property on, the, on their southwest corner, and they kind of confronted the owner and, and pushed them, physically pushed them. And then they left, you know, to, for that to happen on U.S. soil is unacceptable. Uh, that, that should not be happening. I mean, these are uh, just like someone going to someone else's backyard at home and, and, and starting a fight. You know, here they come from down the south area and just looking for passage. And that, that's, that's not correct. That's wrong. Totally wrong. Yeah, and essentially the way they get to you is they're, as you said, they're they're getting a lift from somewhere and then essentially getting dropped off. You know, when we entered uh, your town uh, in Brooks County, we weren't there two minutes, and and you guys had found another body on an area ranch. Talk to me about the terrain because surely. Uh, if you don't make it out there, it, it's going to be a painful death. Talk to me about the terrain that gets people into trouble. I know they get confused when they start moving around the wilderness. Well, absolutely. The the terrain itself, and actually, you know, where we located that that body, that that was pretty pretty good surface. It wasn't as sandy as the surface further west of us. Further west of us, it's, it's, it's real sandy where you, you can actually, you know, uh, bury your, your foot as, you, as you're as you walking along in the sand. Uh, the vegetation at, right now is kind of dry, but when it, when it gets, you know, in the spring, it, it gets it gets thick. And, and it's, it's real difficult um, to navigate yourself through the brush unless someone is guiding you. And and there's there's limitations here as... as as they walk, they're 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 pretty much walking at a, at a fast pace, and they got to walk a little bit further just because of the checkpoint. We have a checkpoint on the Southwest Corridor that's very busy, and and they at times when they put on pressure, they 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 go further west or east of us, and that the the walk is further. Now you're talking about three or four day walk with yeah. very minimal water. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when we went out with your deputy, Don, who took us around, Don volunteers, these teams to go out and find the bodies. They, they are volunteers. It's certainly a tax on your resources to go out and search for people. The area is absolutely huge. And one of the things he pointed out was the ground, like, it's, like you said, it's sandy. It's actually like walking on a beach. You know, for any of us who try to do it, you know, take a walk on a beach, it's very, very heavy. He also said that, you know, the human body tends to lean one way or the other, and, and you end up walking, you know, not in the path that you think you're, you're walking on. Um, talk about, you know, the challenge of, of actually going out and finding the people out there and, and why you even do it. You know, the bodies. Well, sure. I mean, it, it, un, unusually, it, it, that particular incident falls on the, on, on the locals, on, on, at, on the local level as far as recovering the bodies. That's 
number one, even though they're undocumented crossers, that still falls in the locals, uh, local authorities to handle. But just the fact that the, 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 every single every single pasture, every single property is, is private land. So, uh, and then they walk through real remote areas, which is at times difficult to get there. So first of all, we have to kind of get a little quick game plan as to the pathway to get there. So we collaborate very well with, with Border Patrol, with the local Border Patrol office, and, and, and they help us on that, uh, on, on, get, on getting this passageway. An amazing job, Sheriff. All the best to you, and uh, uh, we appreciate what you're doing up there. Stay well. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, Dr. Anthony Fauci warning now against a potential new COVID-19 surge. President Biden's chief medical advisor says the nation could be at risk as the number of daily cases in the U.S. remains at a plateau. With us now is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University. Doctor, I want to get back to that in just a moment. But one of the things you're very concerned about now happening now is talk of the vaccine passport. What is that? I know you're not a fan. Yeah, so the idea of a vaccine passport is that in order to participate in normal life, going to a restaurant, going to a movie theater, flying someplace, uh, you need to show proof of vaccination. If you don't have proof of vaccination, you can't go to the restaurant, you can't go to the bar, you can't go on the airplane flight, you can't maybe even send your kids to school. Um, I think uh, the, the, uh, the problem with this idea is that the, the vaccine actually hasn't been tested in children, and there are large parts of the population that have, are actually quite vaccine hesitant. Um, and it's you can understand why the, the, the trust in public health is at an all time low. The, the, uh, the, the, the way that we've managed the COVID crisis has been absolutely devastating. We sort of, uh, you know, we, we've had public health officials go back and forth saying, you know, masks work, masks don't work. Uh, they've given sort of weird advice about the vaccine because because Trump was in favor of it. You shouldn't trust it, but now you should you absolutely have to have it. I mean, I think um, rather than having this sort of draconian order, which will divide society along uh, along very unfortunate lines, we should we should tell the public if you're older, the vaccine is quite a good vaccine. It, it'll protect you against uh, against death and disease. If you're if you're uh, if you're young, this I mean, if you're a child, for instance, the vaccine hasn't been tested. We should not create, a, in effect, would be a vaccine Jim Crow if, by imposing vaccine passport requirement. It'll turn American life into into something that we're not used to. Um, we should allow everyone in the United States to participate in American life, not just people who have proof of, of, of you know papers to show that they've been vaccinated. Yeah, and quickly, doctor. Also, you know, the number of cases plateauing now. Uh, why is that so concerning? It seems like that would be all right, but I guess they're supposed to keep, you know, going down, not up. Uh, well, I mean, the, the disease is not eradicated, uh, it, and its season is, I mean, like, remember last year, it peaked around April in the East Coast, right? New York, uh, it's just, it's not, it's not surprising. This is COVID season. Is it concerning? The question is, uh, is it rising among the vulnerable? That's the only question that matters, because that's that's the people who get, if they get it, 
they get hospitalized and they die. The vulnerable are people who are older. There's a thousand-fold difference in the risk between uh, young people, exposure to the virus and what happens to them versus old people. Old people are much, much more likely to die if they get it. But fortunately, the vaccine has been rolled out in most states to, to a large fraction of the older population. All right, um, Doctor, the, thank you so much. Uh, sorry, we're out of time, but thank you for your thoughts. Uh, definitely not over yet. You may not know his name, but you might remember his epic Twitter rant at the school board in his Virginia town in Loudoun County, Virginia. You should all be fired from your day jobs because if your employers knew that you were more inefficient than the, than the DMV, you would be replaced in a heartbeat. I literally just finished a conference call because I'm having to multitask to be here to, to address you guys. You're a bunch of cowards hiding behind our children as an excuse for keeping schools closed. You think you're some sort of martyrs because of the decisions you're making when the statistics do not lie that the vast majority of the population is not at risk from this virus. The garbage workers who pick up my freaking trash risk their lives every day more than anyone in this school system. Figure it out or get off the podium because you know what? There are people like me and a line of other people out there who will gladly take your seat and figure it out. It's not a high bar. Raise the freaking bar. Brandon Michon is joining us now. Brandon, you lost your patience with the school board. They seem to have no plan to get your kids back to school. We would love to hear the update now. You got national attention after that epic rant. Yeah, thanks, Tara. Yeah, we were successful in getting the hybrid kids back two days a week and actually starting in April, I think the end of April, we'll have those hybrid kids back four days a week. So it's only for those families that elected for hybrid and the online students are staying online. So we've made some progress, but, you know, we still have a long ways to go. Do you feel like at all, I mean, the online kids now, it sounds like they're stuck at home. You know, what is the issue at this point? Uh, Loudoun County, by the way, also the same school district that uh, is not a fan of Dr. Seuss anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've had, um, I, I've been telling people, our school board here spent a year planning to open schools in six months. So they're focusing other things. We've been banning, you know, Dr. Seuss and all the other factors going on within the county, and they're not focusing on getting our kids back. All of our teachers who are amazing, and, and that's one of the reasons we stay in the public school system here is because of our teachers. All the teachers have had the option to be vaccinated. I think all of them that have elected to have received that vaccination. So in my mind, it's not the teachers, it's the administration that's keeping the, uh, the kids and the teachers out of the, out of the classroom. And Brandon, you know, there's been so much talk about this being so hard on children. You know, your kids were home like everybody else's for a long time, and it, it took its toll. A, you know, how are they doing now, and what are your plans to, to move this forward in the future and hopefully get them back five days a week if that's what you want? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the weather's getting nicer, so obviously there's more time outside. But um, my kids, every time they come home from their hybrid days, I asked them how the school day was and they said they loved it and or the day was great. And there's a huge difference between the online school days and the in-person school days. So we're continuing to go to our meetings, continuing to be vocal that we should have our kids back in school and have a plan. The county here in Loudoun has been slowly implementing something. But like I said earlier, and what I said in my rant, if you're not willing to lead, take a step aside, let someone else do it. And a lot of our elected officials here have been thrown in the limelight because the ineffective leadership um, that they're displaying.
Yeah. Um, so do you think by at the end of the day, the teachers, you know, just don't want to come back? I mean, what's, what's your sense at this point? I don't think it's really the teachers. I think this has become a political situation um, all across the U.S. I think majority of the teachers, all the teachers that I talk to want to be back in the classroom. They've been, been, they have been put in tough situations as well. I believe it's the administration and a lot of them are fearful to speak out because their bosses, maybe agenda is different. And it's hard when you say, hey, I want to be back in the classroom and the, the powers to be above you aren't pushing for that. Brandon, thanks for the update. We really appreciate it. Glad there's at least some progress. All the best. Thanks so much. All right. When we come back, we will see you uh, with a poll. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, even before President Trump in 2014, the U.S. government declared a crisis at the border to address the surge of, again, unaccompanied children and migrating young women through the border as well, through the checkpoints and or unguarded entry ports, especially into Texas. But despite the latest numbers now nearing or at the highest numbers of illegal immigration on record, emerging from the southern border now in 2021, the Biden administration has yet to call it a crisis, even as reporters keep asking the question, is this a crisis? But instead, they continue to call it just a challenge. Now, even though it is all happening during still a raging pandemic, and this picture is a merge of thousands of migrants, including many children, and overcrowded government facilities, and reports of migrants with our COVID or without COVID, with or without, uh, boarding buses and planes for all parts of the country. Now, many who will disappear in the shadows of the United States because they're not necessarily being processed in the same way and are not necessarily in custody now, many not even getting um, a court date at this point. So the White House is calling some other situations a crisis, though, like an economic crisis, they say we have, a growing housing crisis, we probably can agree with that, and ongoing public health crises of gun violence. So while they may want to think or want, want to call the southern border in a crisis, there is a new poll showing what Americans think themselves. So here it is. According to a new Rasmussen poll, 67% of Americans do think it is out of control and that it is, in fact, a crisis. Now, the numbers are evenly split between men and women, with only 15% thinking it's under control, um, split between 15% men and 14% women. And 18% are not sure if this is a crisis or not, or if it's in control or not. So 87% party-wise, Republicans agree it is a crisis, and half of Democrats believe it is a crisis as well. So the bottom line is the migrants are expected to keep coming. Many telling me during their trip to the border the message they are hearing in their own countries, this is a good time to come. They were afraid to come under President Trump and that they will not be turned away. They're not worried about that anymore, the ones that I spoke to say. So experts say the fallout from all this on the United States remains to be seen, but they themselves have been through a lot, the migrants, and a lot of people want this um, fixed as soon as possible. So coming up, we'll have Anna Perez, and we're going to talk about the other issue, COVID.
with Anna Perez. All right, we have Anna Perez, Real America's Voice correspondent. Now, Anna, we're going to talk about the vaccine passport today. It's yes. kind of like the latest buzz. What is that? So right now, the Biden administration is actually working with airlines since he's getting, you know, the push to actually come up with a vaccine passport of some sort. And not only would this be used for traveling via, you know, airplane, but it would also be potentially used for restaurants, going to sporting events and things like that. Actually, this weekend in New York, uh, they just launched an app that would uh, prove that you just got either the vaccine or a recent negative COVID test. And, and what is the purpose of that? I, I, obviously, to encourage people, I'm sure, to get the vaccine. But indirectly, one of the things I've read is that the airlines, they might require it for you to fly. What do people think? Do they think, you know, the administration and, and a lot of health officials are saying, please get the vaccine. But is this somehow encouraging people or, you know, um, making it difficult for them not to get the vaccine. Now, how are you going to fly if that makes if they make that possible if you can't fly without it? Well, exactly, and that's one of the concerns that I think a lot of Amer Americans have right now. I mean, he said before, Biden has said before many times, you know, I would never make this a mandated thing, but is this an indirect way for them to do that? You know, a lot of people are wondering that. Not to mention, there's a lot of, you know, logistical gaps in this. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, even if you wanted a vaccine, you know, no vaccines haven't all been available to people who want them yet. So right now they're developing something for, you know, something, uh, they're basically a step ahead and they're not ready to be there yet. That's also been an issue. So, you know, you have the logistical issue. And then on top of that, you have a lot of Americans concerned with the fact that, you know, you might as well just issue a, a vaccine mandate at that point because, you know, you're not going to be able to go anywhere or do anything. You know, we'll see how states respond to this, but it seems as though, you know, if this is an executive order or anything like that, you know, there's going to be a lot of backlash is my guess. Yeah, and quickly, we've got about a minute left. Masks. I just came back from Texas. There is no more mask mandate. Very controversial. Governor Abbott's move. Yet everybody, the stores were still requiring that everybody wear a mask, at least in the Rio Grande Valley where I was. Your thoughts, final thoughts. Well, I do think that that's interesting because, you know, even with all of these vaccines and, you know, this new uh, app that could be coming out that would act as a passport to prove that you got the vaccine. Um, it just goes to show, would that even matter? Because you probably would still be required to wear a mask, or if you're not required, at the very least, it's going to be the norm. You know, you're not going to be um, allowed in a lot of places. But hopefully the free market will, you know, do the trick, and, you know, other places that are not requiring that uh, without a, a mask tough mandate times. will be able to, yeah, they'll probably be able to go in yeah. there. So. Tough decisions it and is. interesting mm -hmm. times. Thank you for joining us. We will see you tomorrow.